Anyone? No? Okay. Well, we're in a uh, series, week two of a series called Boot Camp. We're learning how to live a Christ-like life and uh, learning how to put that into action. How do you do that? And so I want to invite you to stand with me if you would. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that Jesus knew very, very well uh, from <coughs> the book of Psalms. I'll read it aloud if you've got uh, the YouVersion app or an old-fashioned one of these Bible books. Um, you can leave it there to Psalm 119. We'll be looking at, that to, looking at that together this morning. Here we go. How can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thanks for standing. Well, we're learning together, like I said, how to live a Christ-like life. And um, this is for everybody that's in the room, but specifically, uh, really, this is a message for people in their 20s and 30s. Everybody gets to listen in to what we're talking about. So I'm talking about the millennials. How many of you are 20 and 30-somethings? Yeah, come on, what, what? Um, uh, I, am, I am not a millennial. I am just a, a little bit on the other side of that. I am uh, from what is known as Generation X, the name Generation Yeah, come on. And, and Generation X, the, the X is put there, you know, in a mathematical equation, X means unknown. Uh, so it wasn't exactly a compliment when we were called Generation X. Generation, who knows what they are, uh, is basically what the meaning of Generation X is. And, and very honestly, uh, our generation, we were the, the latchkey kids. Uh, for those of you who remember this, we walked home from school. Um, and we had the chain around our neck with the key on it, right? And our parents or parent, we, they weren't home when we got home, and so we would let ourselves in, and we would be home and have the run of the house for two or three hours until mom or dad uh, got home. And, and very honestly, uh, my generation uh, has always been pretty cynical because we feel like we were kind of handed a, a raw deal. Parents weren't there, and so they bought our attention, or they uh, just kind of ignored us. That's how we felt. So we we kind of are a cynical generation. So I'm not really saying this to Gen, Gen X, all fellow Gen Xers, you get to listen in on this. Um, but I'm also not, not specifically talking to boomers. They're the generation, one generation older, and, and they're awesome. If you're a boomer, we think that you're fantastic. But here's the deal. Boomers have a lot to offer, but they are just tired. They are just worn out. And so I'm, I'm talking to the millennials, the 20s and 30s and some, uh, some things, because you are our hope. You are the future. You are the right now. Uh, you are the largest generation that has come along in decades. Um, you have the power. Um, you have the possibility to paint a different tomorrow and a different future for all of us. And so I, wanna, I, want, I want you to get some things right that the rest of us got wrong. And so this morning specifically, I want to talk to you uh, about how Jesus structured his life, because as a 20 and 30-something, you need to have in place a structure for your life that makes your life work and allows you to have a satisfying life. So you go, I like my life, and you don't turn to things that ruin your life but you, because you say, I like my life, and you can learn that 
uh, from Jesus. I just uh, started a relationship with a, uh, a leadership coach. I sought this person out and and um, I just had a, a phone call with uh, that person this week and talked about it. And one of the things they asked me, he said, hey, listen, uh, next time when we meet, I want you to, uh, beforehand, I want you to send, you, send me how, how you structure your week. When you get up, what you eat, um, where you go, what meetings you have. I want you to just lay out for me how you structure things. And I started thinking about that. And I have kind of a, a rhythm that I follow. But I, I realized, man, that could be a lot more intentional. I could structure my life in ways that are better that have better returns on my investment as a leader. And, and it's the same thing for you. Um, you can structure your life in a different way that gives you lifelong benefit. And so the practice we're going to look at from the life of Jesus this morning is something I hope as a 20 and 30-something you can add into your life. Uh, because every wise person I know does this practice. Every one of them. Now you, you know, right, that just getting older does not make you wiser. You understand that, right? Just age does not make you better at life. <laughs> I know some wise people who are young, who know how to live, and I know some wise people who are old, who know how to live. I also know some foolish people who are young, and I know some foolish people who are old. But all of the wise people that I know on that spectrum of age, all the wise people I know use this practice as one of the core habits of their life to give them a satisfying life, to give them a different trajectory. And here's the practice from the life of Jesus, and then we're going to look at it, how we can put it into our life. It's this, that you would read, that you would study, that you would meditate, that you would apply the scriptures that we are given in the Old and the New Testament. Every wise person I know who lives an exemplary life, that you go, man, I'd like to be like them. They use this practice because they got that practice from the practice of Jesus. So we're going to look at how you can do that. Because here's what I know as a 20 and 30-something. You're moving toward some vision of what you think your life is supposed to be. Now, the majority of us don't plan that vision of our life. We don't really have something in place that says, I want to move toward this kind of a person. We really just get pushed along by the world around us and the culture around us. And so really what we think that ends up meaning is that we've got to be a person who has a lot of money and a person who's really busy, and a person who accumulates experiences. And, and we, don't, we don't really necessarily choose the direction of our life. We let someone else choose it for us. I'm saying you need to know where it is that you are headed. Uh, one of my heroes is a guy named Gene Vanier. Gene Vanier uh, is a Christian, follower of Jesus. I think he's a boomer. Shout out to boomers. Uh, he, he's a boomer, and he left his life uh, doing whatever his job was, and he founded homes for people with mental handicaps, severe mental handicaps. And he did it as an expression of his faith. Um, they're in Canada. He has several of them. And this is what he said. Listen, this is, this is super key. He said, we all have to choose between two ways of being crazy. What the Apostle Paul calls the foolishness of the gospel or the nonsense of the world. <laughs> I just want you today as a 20 and 30 something to see that a Christ-like life is actually your best life, and your best thing to bet on is to choose the foolishness of the gospel, the message of Jesus. Uh, now, here's, here's what I know, here's what I've found out, here's what I've discovered, is that you, you, cannot, uh, you cannot live a life like that without intention and without purpose. While I was, um, while I was prepping for the message, I, I wrote down a list of 
absolutely everything that will come into your life without intention and purpose. I just exhaustively just did a brain dump on everything that I could possibly think of, that all the good things that come into your life. And here's a picture of that list. Um, <laughs> there's nothing. <laughs> you have to choose. You have to intend uh, to go in a certain direction. You, you get to choose your attitude. You get to choose what it is that you'll submit yourself to. Now, I, I got to tell you, the fact that you and I can choose points to God's greatness because if God created us, if there's a God who made the heavens and the earth and made you and me and made the ability for life to be replicated by life, he could make us do what he says, right? Robot, do that, go there, say that, don't stop doing that. But the greatness of God is that he lets us choose. Like, would you want to marry something? Let's just say you're 20 and you haven't, you're not married yet and you're looking for Mrs. Wright and, or Mr. Wright and you're searching you're everywhere you go, your radar is like, nope, nope, yeah, you're doing that thing. Do you want that person to love you because you made them love you or do you want them to choose to love you? You want them to choose to love you. This points to God's, uh, to God's greatness. Now, this, this, this whole idea of choosing uh, in my 20s and 30s was a massive insight for me. I remember still, I was reading a book by a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And he was talking about living a Christ-like life and how beautiful it is and how compelling it is. Uh, and he said, listen, the reason most people never actually live a Christ-like life, they think it's a great idea, uh, is that they just simply don't intend to. And I sat there and I went, Man, that's absolutely the case. If I don't intend to do something, guess what happens? Nothing. I have to intend to do it. And so as a 20, 30-something, I hope you will, you will make a choice this morning to begin to put into your life the practices uh, that Jesus put into his life, into yours. Now, here's what's at stake. Um, what's at stake is the person that you become. God gave you your life as a gift. What God gets out of the deal is the person that you become. That's the gift you give back to God, is the kind of human being uh, that you become. And, and really, there are some options um, in terms of how you process that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of put you in, in one of two camps, because I think we're all in one of these two camps in the way we deal with what's around us. Um, because my generation, um, we had just a set of circumstances and a set of expectations on us and what we thought the world would be and what we thought the world would offer us and how our parents would treat us. And, and it didn't quite turn out that way. I kind of uh, thought about like this, like all of us have some dirt around us. So let us, let's let this represent just the world around us, right? There's some junk. And what most of us do is without really thinking about it, is we're just a conduit for the junk, right? The junk is around us, and so then we uh, let it go through us, and what we pass on to the people around us is no different than what we receive, right? The, the world around us goes into us, and then what we pass out, is it's not any different, right? We're just a conduit. And I just would argue with you that if you don't choose something different, this is what you will do, right? Disappointment is outside of you. It will pass through you. And it is what you will pass on to other people. Uh, bitterness is outside of you. And it will pass through you. And guess what you will pass on? Bitterness. Uh, apathy is outside of you. And it will pass through you. And guess what you'll pass on? Apathy. 
Most of us, without thinking about it, that's exactly what we do. Now, I want to suggest that Jesus didn't operate this way. He wasn't saying, well, we're just a conduit. Yeah, all this stuff happens around us. And, and my generation, there was a lot of bitterness in my generation because life wasn't, you know, where, where's mom, where's dad? Why am I home by myself? What you can do instead, though, is you can be a, a filter. Um, and this is, a, this is what's called a life straw. And, and it has inside of it this charcoal filter. And so what you can do is you can take uh, that same water right there with the leaf that just went in there. That's weird. And you can close this up. And what happens is that filter filters out all of the junk so that you can. Anymore? I just bought it at Walmart. It works, okay? So Danny's not worried about it. <laughs> So here's your options, okay? Here are your options. You can continue going on being a conduit. And you'll just pass, you'll just transmit the environment that you're in. Or you can figure out a filter, and that filter, what it does is it, it's same, same stuff. You're not going to stop living in the world that we live in. But it takes out what's harmful and passes on something that's life-giving. Now, this is, this is the heart of why Jesus is so attractive, because he was able somehow to take out of the environment around him all of the junk and the disappointment and the apathy and the anger and the bitterness and the rage and filter it out, and instead, out of him came something life-giving. And so what I want to suggest to you is the filter that you can use so that that can be your reality instead of this is that you would learn to love to read, to study, to meditate on, to apply in the same way the scriptures that Jesus did. There's a really uh, uh, telling scene in the life of Jesus. It's recorded in Luke chapter 4. Uh, this is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. This Luke is one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And, and it records that Jesus went, uh, as was his custom, on the Sabbath into the synagogue. Every, every week he would go and he would worship with the people of God. So some people will say, you know, I've grown past that. I, don't, I can be a Christian by myself in the woods. I'm like, well, that's not what Jesus did, right? His custom was he would, he would show up, and that was one of the things that shaped him. And, and while he was in the synagogue that day, uh, while he was in the place of worship, he stood up to read from the scroll. And if you were here last week, I told you that the Bible in that day was on a scroll that you would unroll. And you kind of have to see between the lines right here. But what he did is he unrolled that scroll to the place where the prophet Isaiah said, Hey, the spirit of the Lord is on me. He's anointing me to preach good news to the poor and release for the captives. Here, here's, here's what you got to see. He was so familiar with the scriptures that he just had to unroll. He knew right where to unroll it. He didn't have to think about it. Do you see what that illustrates about the life of Jesus? He was so familiar with the scriptures. So here's what we're going to do with the remainder of our time is we're going to look at what the scriptures say about scripture. We're going to go through that, that Psalm 119 because it's a, a kind of a, a, a way of understanding how Jesus understood delving into the scriptures and what it can do in a person's heart and mind. Um, and then I'm going to give you some homework because uh, if you want this to be in your life, you have to apply it. Now, for those of you who have homework anxiety, it's not terrible homework, all right? Just so hang with me. 
Um, let, me, let me tell you this. So this is uh, what Augustine of Hippo, he was a, a bishop in the third century, the leader of, of the church. His writings are still massively influential today. They, I mean, people consider him the greatest theologian that's lived since, since Paul and Jesus. And this is what he said about the Bible, and I find it to be true. Uh, the Bible was composed in such a way that as beginners mature, its meaning grows with them. Truth. Um, so let me tell you what some of the things the scripture says about scripture. Uh, one of my favorite passages is Isaiah chapter 55. And he, Isaiah paints this picture and, and of the rain coming and the snow coming. And when the rain comes, it waters the earth and the plants grow up. And so in verse 11, he says this. So my word, he's talking about God. So my word, my, the, the, what I've given you, what I've said to you, the scriptures. So my word, so it is with my word that goes from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. In other words, uh, using the scriptures, God has a purpose for your life. Now, if you were to go on in Isaiah chapter 55, you would see what he's talking about. He says, so what will happen in you is that you will go out in joy, and because you've let God's word go through you, you will go out with joy, and you will be led forth in peace. How many of you would like to have more joy and more peace in your life? You'd like to be characterized as a person of joy and peace, right? This is the purpose that God has for the scriptures, is that you would be a person of joy and peace. And he says, and so the mountains will break forth and sing, and instead of the thorn bush, bush, there'll be the myrtle tree. If you've ever seen a myrtle, it's a beautiful, soft, wonderful flower. The scripture brings joy and peace into your life. I can't tell you the number of times that I've had something on my mind, or I'm thinking about something in a certain way, and I, I engage in the practice of reading and applying and studying and meditating on the scriptures. I don't just read it one time and then close the book. I, 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 do, I try to do what Jesus did with the scriptures. And my mind is changed. And my attitude is changed. And my perspective is changed. It's almost like uh, scripture has a cumulative effect. If you exercise on a regular basis, you know you have a, it has a cumulative effect. Your muscles grow stronger, your tendons grow stronger, your bones grow stronger. And the more you do it, the stronger you get. Well, this reading and applying and studying the scriptures in the way that Jesus did has that same cumulative effect in a person's life. That's why every wise person I know does it. Um, then Hebrews in the, in the New Testament says this. I'll read the whole thing to you because it's, it's really powerful. For the word of God, the scriptures, what God has spoken to us, is alive and active. So in other words, not like just a book you just pick up and read. It's alive and it's active. And then he gives this, this word picture. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, like a sword just cuts all the way to the bone. Like God's word, what God says to us, cuts all the way. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. I, uh, in the mornings, uh, when I drop my oldest off to school, we, we ride to school together, and, and most mornings, uh, we will take out the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is actually written for a, a father or a mother to train their daughter or son in a wise life that knows and loves God and lives a wise, a wise life. It's a, it was written as a manual to do that. And so we read the Proverbs together, and I have him read them out loud, and um, he'll just read them like, you know, a 13-year-old would read stuff. And then I'll go, well, what does that mean? Oh, I think it means this. Okay. And, and, and sometimes he doesn't know, but what he is writing, because the Word of God is living and active, and it, and it cuts right to the core of how you think about things, he'll read one of those Proverbs, and it'll be like a knife to me. I'll go, oh. I need that. 
And so the other day we were reading, and, and uh, he read Proverbs 10.8, wise, the wise in heart accept commands, but the chattering fool comes to ruin. And I went, oh, I think I chatter sometimes too much. So l- let me just ask you the, a question, okay? <laughs> who, who do you have in your life? What do you have in your life that you've allowed the authority to judge the thoughts and attitudes of your heart? Or are you just on your own page entirely? Most of us, we don't want anyone to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. But we need somebody, unless you are, uh, unless you are perfect in your understanding and your perspective on the world and life, we all need somebody to judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts and say, no, that's a good one and that's not. You need to throw that one out. Oh, that's going to take you down the wrong path. You don't need that. You need this instead. This is one of the things that Scripture does when you, when you allow it to go. It, it gets to the core issues that are in your life. And then Paul says it this way uh, in Timothy, 2 Timothy, one of his letters to his protege, Timothy. He says, uh, the Holy Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. And then he says this, listen, all Scripture is God-breathed. In other words, it has God's Spirit in it and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So I, I, I read the Scriptures, I, I study them, I, I, I meditate on them, I apply to them, and I learn what better to do in life. I, re- I do that with the scriptures, and it rebukes me. It tells me that I'm wrong. See, in our day and age, we don't want anybody to tell us that we are wrong. In fact, we, that's, the, that's the worst thing you can possibly do is to tell someone that they are wrong. But we all need it as fallible human beings for someone to go, dude, that was all messed up. So the scriptures do that. They rebuke us. They correct us. It's like a coach who corrects your form. It uh, 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 trains us. It's like reps for your soul. Now, these are... Jesus understood this about the scriptures, and this is why it was part of his habit. It was a way he just operated in life, was to let the scriptures come into him in this way and, and shape him in this way. And so he, he quoted the Psalms more than he quoted anything else. And, and Psalm 119 is the longest of the Psalms, and uh, it was an acrostic. So um, there's an A section and a B section and a C section in the Hebrew language. And we're in the, the Bs, and in, in the original uh, Hebrew, every line started with that letter or the equivalent in Hebrew of B. Now, I don't, haven't read an English translation that does that, um, but I, w- I want to walk you through this because this is a picture of what happens inside of us when we study, meditate on, and apply the scriptures. It's the change that God works in us that I hope that you will add into your life, okay? So we're going to throw it on the screen. We'll, we'll talk about it here for, just for the balance of our time. Uh, he, so he says this. He says, how can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Everyone is on a path, How do you know which is the best path? Let me tell you what I think about that. Uh, I think the best path is the one that makes the best person. I don't know a better person than Jesus, so I want to be on his path. And if this is what he did, then I would like to be on that path and not on some path of my own choosing. And so he says, how do do you, as a young person, stay on a path of purity or, or what's moral? What's moral means what's good. There is probably no generation that is morally concerned than the millennial generation who wants justice and wants um, things to be made right where things have been put wrong. So this is familiar territory to you if you're a, a millennial. And then he, in verse 11 says, so I'll seek you with all my heart. Don't let me stray from your, man, uh, your, your commands. John Wesley, one of my heroes, he said, listen, there is an impossibility to being half of a Christian. You can't do it. So you have to seek God with all of your heart. And maybe you have to learn to love God's commands to you. 
Maybe you say, well, I don't really, I don't, that doesn't jive with me. Well, then you need to pray and you need to say, God, teach me to love what you say. Teach me to love what you've given us, to see how good it is and what it will bring into my life. And then this is a verse my mom made me memorize when I was a kid. Uh, verse 11, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The, the idea is there's a treasure and, and it has great value. And so you protect it at that treasure and you put it in the most secure place. The most secure place that you and I have is our own heart. So what the psalmist is saying is let what God says make it to your heart, not just your ears. Most of us hear what God says. Oh, that was interesting. Throw that away. <laughs> let it sink into your heart, into the secret place, into the place where you make your decisions. And you hide it in your heart. You memorize. We'll talk about that more in just a second. Verse 12, praise be to the Lord. Teach me your decrees. You keep yourself teachable. The, the decrees are the things that are written in stone. Think about the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments is, uh, is do not commit adultery. People um, don't like laws of, from God, so to speak, because they don't like to be told what to do. And so... Um, they feel like, well, okay, well, I don't, you know, I'm not, I guess I'm not supposed to break God's laws, and so I, I guess that would be bad. And but really what happens is when you, when you break God's laws, it's not so much that you break the rules as much as you break yourself against the rules. You break yourself against the law. And so when that command says, do not commit adultery, I can't tell you the number of times I've had to walk with a family because somebody chose to do that and it broke the family apart. Do, do you understand? There's beauty and goodness in what God says. It takes us in a good direction. And when we go against it, we break ourselves in the process. See, you won't get that if you don't meditate on, well, why is that that way? Why does God say don't do that? And he says do this instead. Uh, verse 13, with my lips I recount all the laws from your mouth. You talk about them. Verse 14, I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. Think about if you won the sweepstakes. Don't think about winning the lottery. It's a waste of your money. Don't do it, right? But, but every year, my wife and I, we sign up for the HGTV Dream Home, and we tell each other, this is our year. We're going to win it. <laughs> uh, we never do. We're never going to. But we still think it's going to. But if you won something like that, you would want at least somebody in your life to know about it. And you would rejoice in that. And, and what the psalmist says is, listen, learn to rejoice even more in what God says to you because it's even better than great riches. You've probably followed the stories uh, like I have of some of those people who win those big amounts and how it ruins their family. <laughs> if you follow and, and rejoice in what God says to you, it, it doesn't ruin you. It blesses you and makes you a bigger person. Um, verse uh, 15, I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. Meditate means you chew on something and you think about it and you consider the different angles. It's not that you read, you read the Bible and you read a verse and you go, huh, okay, close the book and you move on. You pause and you, you go, what does that mean for my life? Verse 16, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Um, the, the goal of this all in, in Jesus' life is it, it was the filter, right? It filtered out the junk around him so that something life-giving came out. It could do the same for you. And, and the goal of, of studying and knowing the Bible is not to pass some Bible knowledge quiz. It's so that you would become a Christ-like person, able to love God and to love the people around you, to be humble. That's, that's the goal of this whole entire thing. Now, 
it, it's really all on you at this point uh, to do something with this because you can just hear this and be like, okay, that was nice, whatever. Um, the, the application is your responsibility. And so here's what I'd, I'd like to invite you to do this week to try this is I want to invite you to, to pick a passage of Scripture. And if you have that 35-day heart boot camp challenge little sheet we handed out last, uh, last week, there are some at the boot camp basics table out in the lobby. You can get one. It guides you through a different thing to do with a passage of Scripture and lists these three Scriptures I'm going to tell you about here in a second. So you don't have to write them down. But what I want you to do is I want you to pick one of those passages and then follow that, that guide um, each day this week, and you can begin to study the scriptures. The, the three passages are Psalm 23, famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. You could memorize scripture and say it like that too, by the way. Um, or you could choose uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the, the chapter about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rowed, loud, rude. It is not uh, proud. It is not self-seeking. It always delights. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always trusts, always hopes, always protects, always perseveres. You could choose that passage. Or you could choose the third passage is uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. It's, we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Where, where Paul says that Jesus, though who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, un- whether uh, on the earth or under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, you could memorize the scriptures. And so what I want you to do is take one of those three passages. And then uh, on your seat is this card, this blank card. And in that passage that you pick, and you can pick something else. You're welcome to do that. Pick one verse, just one verse. Write it on this card. Put it on your mirror where you brush your teeth. And you're going to read it every morning when you brush your teeth. And you're going to read it every night when you brush your teeth. And if you didn't know, you're supposed to brush your teeth twice a day. Okay? <laughs> right? You put it on the mirror, and you're going to read it. And you're going to memorize. You're going to hide God's word in your heart. You're going to memorize that passage of Scripture. And then it's going to work its way through you. Now, let me give you just a, a really quick caveat, and then we're going to be done. Uh, because people will often say, well, I don't understand the Bible. The Bible's hard to understand. You're right. It is. But everything that you begin to study that you don't know about is hard until you begin to understand it, right? When you were in geometry in the ninth grade, guess what? Like, what is she talking about? But as you learned the basics and added them all together, it started to make sense to you. The Bible's no different. We just put it in this category. Well, it's too hard to understand. I don't want to try. Well, okay, you're not going to understand it because you're not going to try. So you have to understand it better. So um, let me give you three questions to ask of Scripture that will help you begin to understand how to study the Bible and, and begin to apply it to your life. Okay, here's the first one. You've got to understand the context, which means, what did it mean? You're reading something that was written to someone in a different day and age, and so you've got to kind of understand that. You don't understand it? You can Google it. What did that mean? What was the context of this? Why was, why was Paul writing this letter to these people, and why did he write this, and who did he write it to? What did it mean? What did it mean to them? Um, then what does it mean right now, the purpose of it? What, why, what is God saying to us today through this passage? And then the third one is, it's incredibly important, uh, is application. What will I allow it to mean in my life? Will I do what it says that I need to do? And, and a simple way to think about that question is, okay, what is, what is God saying to me as I read this? And now what am I going to do about it? How am I going to begin uh, to apply this? 
Now, let me give you one image uh, as we close uh, that is what this can bring in your life. Because at the beginning of the Psalms, the psalmist gives this picture. He says, the person who hears the words of God and does them is like a tree planted by a stream of water. And the image is of this tree that's planted there and it draws its nourishment from the earth and the water that's by the close by stream so that a solid, unshakable tree grows up that gives life and peace and rest to the people who come under its branches. Do do you know how it is in the summer? I know you think the summer is never coming. It is coming. (laughs) You know how it is in the summer when, when it's hot and you've been in the sun and maybe you have a tree in your backyard or in a park and it's one of those big trees that's solid and unshakable and its root system goes all the way down and you sit down in the shade, maybe after you've mowed the lawn or you've done yard work and you sit down in the shade of that tree and you hear the wind blow through it and a feeling of peace comes over you and you think everything's going to be okay. The picture, that what the psalmist is saying is if you let God's word go through you, you will become a solid, unshakable person who gives life and rest and peace to the people around you. That's what you could become. So if you're 20 and you go, well, I'm not that right now, well, guess what? When you're 30, you could be. Or you're 30, I'm not that right now. Well, when you're 40, guess what? You could be. And you could be that all the way into your 50s and all the way into your 60s. And if God gives you time to your 70s and 80s, you could be solid unshakable source of life for the people around you. Man, I want that for you. You have to do the work of letting God's word get into you so that that happens. So I'm going to pray for you right now. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. And would you do this? Would you, you'll see people, no one's they're closing their eyes. They're not paying attention to you. And, and um, would you just hold your hands out with your palms up? It's just, as a, it's just a tangible way of saying I'd like to receive what God has to offer as we pray together. So, God, we all live in the same world. Uh, that swimming around us is uh, just a lot of things. Some of the things very unhelpful, some very hurtful. A lot of it just junk, and, and our, our practice, if we're honest, has been to just let that in and pass it on. And so uh, that's why we're bitter. Uh, that's why we're lonely. That's why we hurt. That's why we're angry. We don't know how to change that. And so we want to learn, Jesus, from you how to add a filter so that you change that in us. And we become different people. We become solid and unshakable and a source of life for the people around us. We would like that. We would like to trade in our experience with its limitations for yours. And so Jesus, you're, you're here. You're in giving master classes in life, teaching people how to do everything you said is best. And so we want to follow you. We want to live a Christ-like life. We want to be like you, and we just need all of your help. Thanks that you're patient with us, that you don't expect this to happen tomorrow, but you patiently grow us, you patiently lead us, you patiently take us through the process of growth and change, and so we submit ourselves to you.
And maybe right now you would say to God in your own way, you know, God, I, in your own mind, God, I submit myself to you. I want a different experience. I want to become unshakable. I want to become solid. And so, Lord, I pray for uh, this amazing generation of millennials as they put something different into their life and they change the next two decades. They make a massive difference because there's a, an army of people who are like Jesus who are 20-something and 30-something. And, Lord, you can make that for 40-something and 50-something and 60-something and 70. You're never limited by our age and our experience. And so wherever we are, we offer ourselves to you and ask for everything that you've got. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. You're sent now to love God, love people, serve the world. Hug someone, tell them you love them. Need prayer? Our prayer team's down front. See ya.